Welcome back to Sports Crunch with Dee Crom, ladies and gentlemen. I'm your host, David Cromwell, and week 11 of the 2017 NFL season is upon us, and that means the race to the finish starts essentially this weekend with an exciting slate of games, and it's good to have our good friend Hal Bent of MusketFire.com, Cover32.com, and Scout Media back on the show to break down this week's games. What's up, Hal? Hey, David. Doing great. Thank you for having me back. I appreciate it. We appreciate you, Hal. It's just uh, starting to become an amazing tradition on this program to break down football games with you each week, and uh, it's one that we definitely hope to continue for a, a very long time. I appreciate it. It's always a, a learning experience here with you, David, for sure. It's a learning, likewise, Al, it's a learning experience <laughs> with you as well. And uh, let's talk a little bit about Week 10. Uh, what were your main takeaways from Week 10? Uh, main takeaways, there were a lot of uh, you know great games. You got to see the Drew Brees offense, Tom Brady and Bill Belichick setting records. Uh, the Rams just keep rolling. But what really stood out for me is you're starting to see the separation between the teams in the NFC and the teams in the AFC. Um, there's just so many strong teams in the NFC. And what a race it's going to be to try to get that down to six teams to squeeze into the playoffs. And alternately, when you turn it around to the AFC and you look at, you know, that final wild card spot is right now held by the Bills, who are five and four, turning to a rookie fifth round pick to take over at quarterback this week. And then behind them, you've got the Dolphins, the Ravens, the Raiders, the Jets that are all still in the fight for that final wild card team. And none of those teams have looked like a playoff team this year. And not even close to teams that are on the outside looking in over in the NFC. Yeah, tell me about it. And like eight and eight, or dare I say seven and nine, could be good enough to get that final AFC playoff spot. And in the NFC, you said it, it's much more competitive. Yes, uh, you could talk about the Eagles having the best record in the league, but uh, the Saints and the Rams and the Vikings um, fall in that pecking order right behind them. And I don't think there's as big a gap between the Eagles and those teams as some people might think. And uh, and in the a- AFC, uh, it's pretty top-heavy. I think the Patriots have reasserted themselves as the favorites to go back to the Super Bowl yet again. But uh, don't sleep on the Pittsburgh Steelers because after we saw um, uh, them last night uh, get to 40 points, their first time uh, scoring more than 30 this season, if they can f- continue to find that mojo on offense with Antonio Brown going absolutely ape last night, plus that amazing young defense. The Steelers could really, really give the Patriots a run for their money in that game at Heinz Field, and I believe either whether it's week 15, 16, uh, whatever it is, that could determine home field advantage in the AFC playoffs. And the Steelers, uh, uh, you could argue that they're more dangerous this year in in some ways, or in many ways, uh, compared to where they were last year. The Patriots might have a fight on their hands this time around. I agree completely that, Steelers defense especially that front seven flying around you know if they can get that secondary playing well like they were last night picking off Marcus Mariota four times um, you know that is a scary team and I'm not sleeping on the Kansas City Chiefs either I know a lot of people uh, where they've been losing three out of their last four games they were on a bye last week they've got the Giants coming up and then the rest of their schedule is Bills, Jets, Raiders, Chargers, Dolphins, and then in Denver for Week 17. 
you could be looking at the Chiefs right there in the fight for one of those uh, top spots uh, in the AFC as well. I'm not counting them out because all of those games on the rest of their schedule are winnable games. Oh, most definitely. And plus, uh, Andy Reid has an amazing track record of getting his team ready to play coming off of a bye week. And uh, and uh, starting this week, the Chiefs have some chance to start some momentum and they and their schedule gives them an opportunity to continue that momentum uh, going forward. So you can't discount the Chiefs in the race for the AFC's number one seed. I completely agree. And uh, now let's uh, move to this week's slate of games and starting with the game of the week. Who would have thunk it? Last year, Jared Goff was drafted as the number one overall pick by the Rams, and he played back up to Case Keenum to start the year. And now Jared Goff has found his stride um, with, a, with a vengeance. Like some people were foolishly writing him, off, writing him off as a draft bust last year, and he has absolutely exploded this year. But Case Keenum is surprisingly played phenomenally well, dare I say, at an MVP caliber level. It, because of him and that great Vikings defense, that is the reason why the Vikings find themselves where they are right now at 7-2. and two, And it's going to be an intriguing matchup this Sunday at the site of Super Bowl 52, U.S. Bank Stadium in Minneapolis. Uh, but uh, everyone knows how amazing the Rams' offensive transformation has been going from the dull Jeff Fisher 1980-style attack to... Uh, the Sean McVay system that has uh, done wonders for Jared Goff. The Rams, you could say they're the most balanced offense in the league, and they're on track to finish the year with 526 total points, which would put them in the top 10 um, all-time um, single-season scoring offenses. But the Vikings offenses, I allude to, they have been amazingly well, even with the injuries to Dalvin Cook and Sam Bradford. Case Keenum has played amazingly well, and they just might have the most explosive one-two punch at wide receiver with Stephon Diggs and Adam Thielen. Diggs, a mid-round pick, a day-three pick in 2015, and Thielen, an undrafted free agent. It is just incredible stories all around. What has been the secret to the Vikings' astonishing offensive success so far this year? I think you said it is, you know, just the maturation of Jared Goff. And, you know, maybe if you just want to say they they shoveled Jeff Fisher out of there, that could be a big part of that right there as well. And just bringing in that youth uh, and energy. I was talking about the Vikings offensive success. Oh, I'm Their sorry. Success <laughs> yeah. Everyone the knows Vi- about the Rams. Well, exactly. So the Vikings as well. I mean, the, the surprising part is they have an excellent offensive line. They've been able to hold up there. Even without a running game, like you talked about, importing those wide receivers just gives them so much explosion on the outside that defenses have to respect that. And Case Keenum taking advantage of his opportunities. You know, I fully expected him last week to drop off and have Teddy Bridgewater in by halftime because you just keep looking at him saying he can't keep doing it. And instead he took and turned around saying, Hey, you want to push me? I'm going to push right back. And you see what competition does. He probably had his best game of the season, 21 for 29, 304 yards, four touchdowns. Just, you know, it, it's a the confluence of, you know, just getting that right combination together. And sometimes that's all it takes. Yes, and I also see there's a parallel between the situation Alex Smith currently finds himself in in Kansas City with uh, them selecting Patrick Mahomes this year, and it's pushed him to play the best football he's ever played, arguably, in his entire career. And uh, with Bridgewater um, uh, being uh, reactivated from uh, injured reserve, or, or, or the pup list to be more exact this year, uh, 
Keenum is playing with that same type of fire. And uh, it'll be very fascinating because if he continues it, I think it's going to be very hard for the Vikings to keep him off the off the field if he continues to play this way. What do you think? Oh, definitely. I mean, they have to. You can't sit him for a quarterback who basically hasn't played in two years when he's out there putting up those kinds of numbers. There's no doubt about that. And as much as they all love Teddy Bridgewater, um, you know, he's a very, very popular in the locker room, in the community. You know, Case Keenum is just playing too well right now um, for the. You know, it's just too much for Minnesota to to look in any other direction. Absolutely. And uh, when you look at this game, uh, the matchup, the unit matchup, I, I should say, that will decide this game, if you look at that Rams offensive line, which has been boosted by the veteran additions of uh, John Cooper and obviously Andrew Whitworth against that amazing Vikings defensive line with Everson Griffin and Daniil Hunter coming off the edge. Which of those two units would you give the edge to in this game? That is a tough one. I mean, we saw the Rams, uh, you know, I'm sorry, the Vikings struggle a a little bit with Everson Griffin um, dinged up a little. So if he's less than 100%, I'm going to give the edge to the Rams. Um, I mean, right now, I think I saw on Pro Football Focus the other day that they're the fifth best pass blocking unit in the league right now. Um, But the Vikings, on the other hand, are coming 120 pressures so far. Um, just since week six, that that's just amazing. I mean, right now, this Vikings pass rush is just storming through offensive lines. and I'm gonna and I'm gonna say, um, you know, if Everson Griffin's hundred percent, they're almost unstoppable. Agreed, Hal, Everson Griffin's health will arguably be the deciding factor in this game. But what individual one on one matchup will you be watching the most in this game? Um, I'm going to look outside. I want to see what happens with Trumaine Johnson covering Stefan Diggs. Um, we talked about Diggs and Atelian earlier. Diggs has been um, one of the best wide receivers in the NFL. He was a little uh, dinged up as well. Um, but Trumaine Johnson has uh, had some struggles in the passing game this year. And you know, he's somebody that the Rams are really going to be counting on in the second half to to play like a lockdown cornerback, and he's going to have to do that against Stefan Diggs on Sunday. He most certainly is, and who do you have winning this high-stakes showdown? It's hard for me to pick against the Rams at any time right now. You know, I really think this is a preview of the NFC Championship game. I think it's going to come down to whoever has the ball last. I'm going to say Rams 27, Vikings 24, but I could flip a coin and go the other way very easily. I completely agree, Hal. This game is a total toss-up between two evenly matched teams, but I just have to give the Vikings a ever-so-slight edge because they're at home, and even if Everson Griffin is like 85% or above, I think he will have one game deciding play in him and he will be the first uh, pass rusher to own Andrew Whitworth this season. And let's go to an intriguing matchup in the Superdome in New Orleans as the Saints at seven and two with that amazing young defense and that run first offense with Drew Brees. God, the hell is almost frozen over because of that, dare I say hosting a Redskins team that might be four and five, but they're a playoff caliber team and they're coming in um, with every attention of uh, play, every 
final game this year is a playoff game, and you could you have to expect that this game is going to be very, very close and competitive. And uh, Charlie Casserly um, uh, said uh, this morning that he thinks that the Redskins have what it takes to put up 30 points on the Saints. Do you agree with that sentiment, and do you think that they have what it takes to exploit the weaknesses in the Saints defense, and if so, why? Um, you know, I do have the Redskins scoring 30 points against New Orleans this week. I might have New Orleans scoring more, but (laughs) (laughs) when, when they're, when they're healthy and, you know, it's again, it looks like Jordan Reed's going to be out again, but even without Reed, they're deep enough at tight end. The Redskins can do so many different things. They're running out of healthy running backs. They're running out of healthy tight ends. And, you know, Kirk Cousins. I mean, we could see the first time somebody's franchised three years in a row the way he's playing this season because the Redskins may not have another choice and may have to pay him $35 million next year because he has just been, um, you know, take away his wide receivers, take away all the weapons, bring in a whole fresh set this year, and he's still figuring it out, making the plays. It's just what you can do when you have a quality quarterback there. And um, it's going to be very interesting to see what he does against this Saints defense as well, because I'm still not 100% sold on that Saints defense. You know, I've seen them beating up on Tyrod Taylor, uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick, Mitch Trubisky, Brett Hundley. You know, I want to see what they're going to be doing now with Kirk Cousins and Jared Goff coming up and Cam Newton and Matt Ryan. And then we'll see if this Saints defense is really as good as it has looked against these bad quarterbacks. Very good point. And uh, uh, and one, I think, major weakness this Saints defense has is that outside of Cameron Jordan, uh, they don't have a solid edge rusher uh, to compliment Cameron Jordan. So if he's locked down this week against Trent Williams or Morgan Moses, wherever they line him up, uh, that could be trouble. You're definitely right there. That is going to be um, something that, you know, it's hard to get that edge rusher and consistency. And and the Saints have been basically doing it, like you said, with one guy. They most certainly have. But the big, even bigger story with the Saints this year, arguably, is their offense. They have, as I alluded to, astonishingly, astonishingly transformed into a run first attack with Drew Brees at quarterback. And that's an oxymoron, dare I say. And if this game is a shootout, as you expect it to be, and Breeze needs to throw more, who in the passing game needs to step up their game the most, aside from Michael Thomas, who's turning into a top-10 wide receiver, and Alvin Kamara, who is an um, all-purpose weapon coming out of that backfield? Well, you know, I'm going to say it's Mark Ingram, because, you know, when you see Kamara in the backfield, you're pretty sure the ball's going to end up in his hands, probably on some kind of passing play. The Saints, if they're able to go out there and run formations and, you know, exploit the Redskins in a base defense, they're going to have to get the ball to Mark Ingram in space, and he's going to have to make some breakaway runs with the ball in his hands out in space. Yeah. And I would, uh, that is a very good point, but I was talking about who in their passing game is going to need to step up if they need to throw more, aside from uh. Michael Thomas and Kamara, who is uh, <laughs> turning out to be one of the best receiving backs in this league. I'm going to say, let's put this, you know, do you really think Ted Ginn's going to step up? Um, 
I hate to put that pressure on him. Um, you know, they do have Kobe Fleener, Kobe Fleener at tight end who really hasn't done a lot so far this season. Um, and of course, you know, now that Willie Sneed's active, he's only got one reception on the season. So there's plenty of people who should be stepping up, whether I'm going to count on them doing it this weekend. Um, I would say put the pressure on, you know, Ted Ginn to make a couple of deep receptions there and uh, to, to stretch out that defense in Washington and uh, free up some space for Thomas and Kamara underneath. Most definitely. And who do you have winning? I've got the Saints on this one. Uh, still close, high scoring, but 34-31. I have the Saints, too. I think the matchup that will make the difference is that criminally underrated Saints offensive line against the Redskins defensive line that's been depleted uh, by injuries. Like the loss of Jonathan Allen has hurt them in the running game quite a bit, and I think the Saints exposed that yet again. And moving on to the Sunday night football matchup that would have been much more intriguing if not for Ezekiel Elliott's suspension going into effect. Uh, But it still remains an intrigue because I just am interested to see if the Cowboys could uh, shock the world here uh, in prime time. Uh, And it's not just uh, Ezekiel Elliott that's out for this game. It is Tyron Smith that is going to miss his second straight game in a row. And you saw what happened last week with Tyron Smith. You could argue that his absence was more costly than Ezekiel Elliott, given the fact that Adrian Claiborne, yes, Adrian Claiborne of all people, had six sacks on Prescott. And now they have to face arguably the best front four in football with the Eagles. And what do the Cowboys have to do to help Dak Prescott avoid being under such pressure this week? Besides stapling Chaz Green to the bench, (laughs) um, (laughs) they're going to need, you know, and, you know, Chaz Green is not the worst left tackle in NFL history. You know, I just want to, you know, put that out there. But my God, time after time, give the man some help. Let, you know, have a tight end chip the edge rusher, you know, adjust during the game. And, And Jason Garrett just seemed so slow to do that. And, you know, they're going to have to leave, you know, you're going to have to leave the back into block and you're going to have to leave the tight end into block sometimes and double team them guys and not put so many people out in the roads. And they didn't do that last week and it really hurt them. And I think this week they're going to have to game plan for, hey, you know, even if healthy, Tyron Smith may be dinged up still and not at 100 percent. So if he's out, you know, same plan, get some help out there on the edges and, you know, um, they, they just don't have a choice otherwise, because otherwise we'll see. We saw what happened last week. You can't do the same thing again and expect different results in Dallas. Insan- the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, and it would be the height of insanity if the Cowboys continued to leave uh, whoever starts at left tackle, whether it be Chaz Green or Byron Bell, uh, on an island against uh, whoever the Eagles have lined up opposite them. And with the win, do you think the Eagles essentially put a lock on the NFC East crown this year with a win on Sunday? You know, it's it's tough to say otherwise because, you know, at, at nine and one, they're they're sitting kind of pretty right there as well. Um, the rest of the schedule, they still have to play the Seahawks. They still have to play the Rams. But, you know, worst case, I think that 
they're pretty much sitting pretty right there. If they're nine and one, um, you know, coming down the stretch here, it should be uh, a cruise to the finish line for the Eagles with the number one seed. You could very well be right. And who do you have winning here? Well, I'm not picking the upset, I do have to say, but <laughs> I'm going to say Eagles 38, Cowboys 17, a bit of a blowout. Well, that would be surprising, but I kind of uh, am holding out hope that the Cowboys find some way to make this somewhat competitive, but the Eagles will hang on to win 31 to 23. And on Monday night, the scene shifts to the Pacific Northwest, where the Seahawks host former defensive coordinator Dan Quinn and his Falcons, and the Falcons come in. Uh, off a very impressive win against the aforementioned Cowboys. And in large part, it was because their offense started to find its groove last week. What do you think made the Falcons' offense click last week? And how can they click in this game again without arguably the linchpin of that unit in Devontae Freeman, who will miss this game with a concussion? Yeah, the scary thing is, is with Tevin Coleman as a backup, there's really not a lot of drop-off there, which is hard to believe with a player of Freeman's caliber there. So for Atlanta, I think, you know, they got uh, Julio Jones involved in the game early, and that makes all the difference in that offense. Um, You know, once Jones was involved in the offense, then with the extra attention on him, you saw the ball getting distributed to Austin Hooper. You saw Mohamed Sanu, you know, having an impact on that game as well. And even Taylor Gabriel had a few big catches down at the end, but it seems like Atlanta does it in reverse. Sometimes they'll, they'll let the team take away Jones and try to force it into those other guys. And then all of a sudden you get to the fourth quarter and they're losing and you're saying, wait a minute, Julio Jones, you know, the best wide receiver on the planet has two receptions. What's going on. And, you know, sometimes they outsmart themselves on offense. So, Keep it like they did last week. Get back to the basics. Feed Julio Jones early. Make the defense adjust to take him away. And then you can open up the game to your other toys that you have on offense. Absolutely. you got to feed Julio early and often. He is arguably the most talented guy on the field when he plays. So not targeting him um, voluminously is a cardinal sin. And looking at the Seahawks, they are absolutely depleted right now by injury. They obviously lost Richard Sherman for the season last week in Arizona with an Achilles injury. Uh, yes, they got Earl Thomas back this week, but Cam Chancellor and Dwayne Brown look incredibly iffy to play. Uh, what gives the injury depleted Seahawks the best chance to win this game? Well, normally with Seattle, you'd say running the ball, but in the last two years, they're not a running team anymore. So, you know, it all comes down to Russell Wilson. Um, He's been doing it all season long. I don't know how in some of these games he pulls out that offense um, as basically the biggest weapon. Um, I really am interested in this game. Like you talked earlier, you know, you've got the, the, the two like defensive systems there that are in effect. Um, Atlanta has some great cornerbacks there as well. I'm really excited to see Des Trufant matching up with those Seahawks receivers as well. But um, it, it's going to come down to Russell Wilson with his feet and with his arm and, you know, a couple of those big shots that he seems to have downfield every week. And if he can connect on a couple of those, the Seahawks should be in good position to uh, nail a ha- uh, hammer a nail almost into the Falcons season right now. 
Yes, this is absolutely a must-win game for the Falcons, given the fact that they are trailing both the Saints and the Panthers in the NFC South. And who prevails on Monday night? I've got the Seahawks pulling it out. Um, Russell Wilson, primetime magic once again, 27-16 over the Falcons. I think it's going to be a very close game. I think the Falcons do take advantage of the uh, injuries in the Seahawks secondary. I think they put up a big fight. But I have Russell Wilson um, uh, with another epic game-winning drive to prevail 27-24. to And he is, once again, Hal Bent, ladies and gentlemen, covers the New England Patriots in the NFL for musketfire.com, cover32.com, and scout media. Hal, I cannot say this enough, but it is gets more pleasurable every week having you on this program. But you obviously know the routine. Before we let you go, we go to our rapid-fire segment and predict the rest of the games of the week. And let's start out with the Lions meeting the Bears. Who do you got? Um, I'm going to take the Bears uh, over this one. I love the Lions, but, boy, they're inconsistent. Um, Bears in an upset, 24-23. I just don't see that happening. John Fox uh, showed last week that he's in over his head. Their offensive coordinator has no idea what to do. Uh, to help Mitchell Trubisky out. The Lions uh, pull off a much-needed win in Chicago, and it won't be close, 24-13. Uh, to 13. Ravens and Packers. Ravens and Packers. Oh, I've got the Ravens. Oh, I just don't trust that offense with Joe Flacco. I really liked what I saw last week with Green Bay. They may not have any running backs to play, but Brent Hundley finally looked like he was competent. I'm going to take the Packers 22 to 16. I have the Packers in an ugly low scoring game as well. How about those Jacksonville Jaguars? They continue to win and they go to Cleveland to face the Browns, albeit probably without Leonard Fournette. Who do you got? Uh, even without Fournette, this should be a uh, <laughs> almost like a uh, intra-squad scrimmage practice game for the Jaguars. <laughs> 27 to 6 over the Browns. Yeah, I have the Jaguars too. Um, a hold your nose matchup, Cardinals and Texans, Blaine Gabbard against Tom Savage. Who do you got? Oh my gosh. NFL fever. Catch it with those two. Oh my gosh. Uh, you know, one great matchup in the game, Patrick Peterson and Deshaun Hopkins makes this game worth watching. I'm going to say the Texans find a way to pull it out. 17 to 13. I just don't trust Tom Savage. I believe the Cardinals eke out an ugly one with Blaine Gabbert because I think Gabbert is the better quarterback of the two. And that is not a compliment to Blaine Gabbert saying he's better than Tom (laughs) Savage, just for the record. Uh, The Chiefs uh, traveling to the Meadowlands to face the Giants. Yeah, the Giants, you know, they've got injuries on the offensive and defensive line. Oh, gosh, they they just don't have a chance. I think they'll get some garbage points at the end to make it look closer than it is. Chiefs 31, Giants 23. I have the Chiefs winning as well, and by a more sizable margin for the record. Uh, The Buccaneers and the Dolphins, two teams that are very, very bad right now, I I should say. Yeah, you know, this game shouldn't have been rescheduled after Hurricane Irma. They should have just canceled it. Amen. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, uh, I'm looking at, you know, it's a, it's kind of a flip the coin. Uh, Tampa Bay, hey, they, they're hot right now, right? They've won right. one. So <laughs> 17-13, Tampa Bay over the Dolphins. That's pretty much where I have this game. I have Tampa Bay prevailing as well. The Buffalo Bills and Nate Peterman making his first ever NFL start 
going to face the Chargers. Who do you have here? This is a tough one. Phillip Rivers has a concussion. We're still not sure if he's going to be playing. Um, nobody's found any game footage that I've seen where he's had this concussion. So I'm wondering if he, you know, uh, slipped and fell or what's going on with Phillip Rivers there. Um, tough game, tough game to call. I'm going to call the Chargers 20 to 13 over the Bills. I have the Chargers as well. Uh, the battle of three and sixes, the three and six Bengals traveling to the mile high to face the three and six Broncos. Well, we got two great defenses, at least for teams that are three and six. So, um, you know, I expect Denver to bounce back. They're still a very prideful team. Andy Dalton has done well against bad defenses and uh, has done bad against good defenses. So I'm going to take the Broncos edging it out 16 to 13. I have the Bengals in this game. I think the Bengals uh, defensive line, I trust them to uh, force the Broncos into more mistakes. And I trust the Broncos defense to force the Bengals into key mistakes. And I believe A.J. Green and Andy Dalton have one game deciding play in them, which will be enough. Bengals 20 to 10. Uh, from Mexico City with love, the Patriots facing the Raiders. Who do you got? Yeah, at the beginning of the year, this looked like one of the biggest games of the season. Um, the Raiders certainly have had the injuries and been a little disappointing, but um, New England still has injuries on that offensive line, and you know they're going to have to block Bruce Irvin and Khalil Mack somehow. I figure they'll figure it out. 34-24 Patriots over the Raven, uh, Raiders. I, I have the Patriots winning 35-24. to 24, So good minds, as they say, think alike, <laughs> Hal. And Hal, uh, thank you so much for joining us yet again, and we look forward to having you on early next week to preview Week 12. Sounds great. Yeah, ready for Thanksgiving. Everybody have a wonderful Thanksgiving out there as well. Happy Thanksgiving to you, Hal, and happy Thanksgiving to all of you listening. And that is all for today here on Sports Crush with D-Crowd, but we'll be back next week, so stay tuned. Also, be sure to check out the episode archive as well as an up-to-date blog of mine at sportscrunch.com. And remember, that's Crunch with a K. For Hal Bento, you can find on Twitter at HalBento1. Our producer, Chris Broadhead, I'm David Cromelow saying so long, and yes, stay awesome.